Hello and welcome to yet another episode of 177 Nations of Tasmania, Madagascar. We've all seen the movie or the David Attenborough documentary about lemurs and the unique flora and fauna of this biodiverse rich island country. But it also possesses almost as much diversity in its culture and people, with strong influences from Asia, continental Africa and Europe. And my guest for this episode is Michaela, who married a Tasmanian man and migrated here in her 40s, and now runs her own massage business in Hobart. Now I don't want to spoil her story of getting here by telling you too much, but it's a very interesting one. And you will also hear a lot about growing up in Madagascar, the importance of extended family and their influence, and also about many other aspects of life in Madagascar. So I grew up in Madagascar, Mark, and I moved here when I was 41. I was born in the capital. It's called Antananarive. It's a very long um, name, like all our surname from Madagascar. Yeah, yeah. And we call it Tana to make it shorter. And many people know the capital by that name. And then I grew up in the East Coast and then later on um, moved in the North, and that's where I had my first job. And then later on, moved on the west, where I got my daughter. My grandfather raised me with my grandma. My mom had me very young. And the job made him move. Okay. So he was a police officer. He ends up a commissioner at the end until he retired. And... He was one of the rare who went to France to be trained as a police okay. officer because we've been colonized by French people for quite long. He went to saint cyr mondo That's maybe one of the quite famous like police academy in France. And he won. Yeah, he was one of the best. He was the major. So we just like moved because he's like transferred each time. Okay, yeah. so different posts around, yes, the, around yes. the island. Yes, and the longest was the one in the East Coast where we originally from on mom's side as well. So that was like kind of ends up well. Okay, so you, you had sort of lots of family nearby. Yes. Yeah. So my dad's side is more in the capital side where I was born. So that's where my family from my dad are. And then mom's side is more in the East Coast. So, yeah, I grew up with a lot of cousins, aunties, and yeah. great-grandma, grandma. And what do you, what do you remember about the, uh, your childhood and, and the environment? Very safe. Lots of green. Like, everywhere we go, there will be little bushes even around the house. Lots of grass to play. Trees to mm. put swings. And then we used to play, like, during, like, summertime... It's so late. We just like leave all the doors open, all the windows open. We can just like fall asleep anywhere. Doesn't mm. matter. And the adults are there knitting, talking, and all the kind of children always gathered after school uh, to play. And I think the biggest thing I really like every big holidays during July, August, we go back to our village. Uh, it's a big trip. So all the families, children going to school in the city, but go back to the village to see a great grandma and the oh, family right. staying there. So it's a long trip. We go first by taxi, Bruce. It's kind of like a big bus. Mm -hmm. And that's like one stop. And then 
we start to walk. It's more like gravel up and downhill. And we've got a backpack. And before we go, like my grandpa always give us like, you know, the necessary, a bit of soap, a bit of bread, a bit of uh, oil, all the things the village can't get very easily. And we share. So we agree which one will bring which. So we end up there, be able to have like few things when we cook and just uh, spoil a bit of great grandma. So after the gravel part, there will be mud path and then oh. crossing river part right yes it's like a, it's a real like a trek yes it is and then you go from one village to another and and then i think our village is maybe the third so there'd be more after our village as well yeah i think that was my part i really enjoyed yeah and then we stay there we still put like um water in bamboo so you go to the river put the bamboo and then put it on your shoulder. Um, we climb coconut trees. Um, we pick coffee beans and treat them, um, dry them, sell them. Half will be my pocket money, half I yeah. bring back for my grandma who loves coffee. I know that it, uh, Madagascar is really interesting for the different influences. There's uh, African and Asian influence and obviously European colonization. Do you, do you see much of those, the mix of cultures um, over there? So um, you're going to be surprised, even for us in my family, my great grandma told us the story. So there was a, an English man, always like a pretty kind of naughty because he was a parrot coming uh -huh. and went in the village, ends up with one of the women and um, I think that's why my great-grandfather has got blue eyes, his oh, fair right. skin. And he married my grandma, who's like very Indian native looking, dark, long hair. And they end up with children who's like half will be like the dad, my great-grandfather, and half will be like my great-grandma. Right. So my grandma ends up fair skin. She's got another sister, fair skin, and another brother. And then there will be three more or four who's like dark skin. Okay. And then I end up with aunties and uncles, same. Mm -hmm. We like divided in like fair skin, curly hair, gray eyes, and then came like that. But in the middle of that, with the English and Malagasy, we end up a bit with Chinese as well. Right. So I've got my daughter with very little eyes, yeah. a bit like short nose. Okay. And me and my brother, we've got long nose, we've got big eyes, and the curly hair is very much in the family, a bit reddish as well. And the English part was the one my mom didn't like, was she can't go in the sun without being really like sunburn. Oh, right. And it's all of us. So with dark skin, more or less dark and a bit pale, but we can't handle the sun. That must be a bit of a, a nuisance in Madagascar. <laughs> it is. When I arrived here, we went to Putalina for the first month and um, I was like, oh, it's hot. And I didn't put anything and didn't put sunscreen and no sleeves. And my daughter and I, we went there and we like, oh, this is trouble with sunburn. Mm. And my husband like, you can sunburn. And I'm like, yes. And we peeled. 
So we had a bit of like trouble a few days after that. And we've learned that it's really dangerous in Tasmania. So we need to be careful. So talking about the origins, so that's my family side, sorry. Um, But if you look at Madagascar, the influence with all the invasion and colonization, so Diego the North will be more with Arabic influence. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people there will be mixed Malagasy Arabic. They will have French as well. So you will see people with sometimes the whole mixed together. Mm. And then if you go East, um, like uh, where I'm originally from, from my mom, we've got Chinese there living for generation, Indo-Pakistani people, French. I think some people say there was a bit of Spanish, but we can't really see that. And then the South wasn't mixed too much because it's the hardest path to get. It's really hot mm-hmm. and it's like really hard to access as well. Um, then the West where my daughter was born, it's more like a lot of people there. I think it's a bit of a mix. I think that side as well didn't get too much than the east and the north because mm-hmm. I think the access from the sea in those side was different. So I couldn't really see all mix, but I just saw in Majenga, they've been as well a lot of Indo-Pakistani there for generations. So it's more like they moved around. But originally, what they say, it's more Indonesia has been the first to reach Madagascar, bringing spices, doing like trades, Mm. maybe a bit of Malaysian as well, but more likely Indonesian. So if you look at people in the capital, they'd be very much like Malaysian, Indonesian people. They're short, very like um, straight hair. Yeah, it's the whole figure. So rice is the basic food in Madagascar. We grow rice, we still like maybe three times for some people still they eat rice a day. And then when you evolve a bit, you're like, okay, I need just twice. (laughs) Uh, And then some people say, no, I just this once. So when I grew up, I know morning will be rice, but a bit like in a soggy kind of a bit like, um, when you do oats, mm-hmm. so you can eat it with like um, milk, sugar, honey. All right. So that's like breakfast type. Like a kind of porridge. Yeah. yeah. And then you you can have it like in the, um, bre- uh, that's breakfast. And then lunch, you will have it with a bit like the normal cooking rice you've got. And then you've got like curry chicken or curry meat or leaves or whatever you want to mix with it. Or eat with it and then the evening will be a bit the same as the lunch part the thing makes malagasy people proud it's the zebu so it's a beef mm-hmm. but we call them zebu and that's what we eat it's it's the meat was like but if you've got a lot of zebu you're very rich yeah so people in the south got a lot of them and some tribes are like okay if you die how many zebu do you have that's how you like see how rich is the person or not. We also, it's not just rice. We eat a lot of sweet potato, uh, all the underground part. Cassava leaves and cassava is one of maybe 
the national dish in Madagascar. Okay. So we've got like the traditional dish like cassava um, paste, the leaves, and then you eat it with pork or you eat it with really fatty meat of the zebu. You can do it with seafood and there's a lot of like coconut going with our food as well. So we love our coconuts <laughs> so much, like can be like in um, anything we eat. Yeah, coconut will be there most of the time too. Yeah, I heard similar thing about Seychelles and using the fresh coconut milk rather than a tin. Yes, we don't have in tins. We just climb and then prepare it and then press it and get it straight. And I promise you it's very different taste. My great-grandma was maybe the eldest I've known in my life and then I grew up with my grandparents my grandma and my um, grandfather they were still in the arranged marriage and then mom had me very young so I ended up living and growing up with my great so in the house with me great grandma always visit all her children so I end up with my grandma quite often and then my grandma was there with my grandpa. Mom was there. So we ended up four generations in the same house. Wow. And then my grandma, because she married someone who's kind of able to have more family, we have like few uncles. I think I had one auntie, two aunties, three uncles living with us because they need to study in the city. And then sometimes plus that we have like all the other grandparents coming to visit goes and back and sometimes the house is really full on sometimes i sleep on the table and the table is huge because right. yeah sometimes some are under the table some are on the table and then the bed will just be like so many on the same bed when all this family are coming most of the time for a good thing a wedding or um, church celebration uh, baptism or something like that so yeah, the house was happy, full on. But the good thing is the chores was always like um, shared as well. So the yeah. more people, the more sharing and uh, make it easy. So me growing up, my grandfather was the one going to work as a policeman. Grandma was always at home. But she went to um, sister school, so she knows how to do broderie, sewing, knitting, and she makes money with it, like making like baby's clothes with broderie, knits things. But at the same time, she's always at home. I think for us children, it's more like we need to listen, go to school, do the chores, and do whatever needs to be done. So, the, yeah, the father figure was my grandfather. And um, that's always for us, whatever is happening in the house, we need to respect the elders. You start meal, elders first, they need to serve first. It's always like there's all this part you can't serve before your grandma or your great grandma. So there's like a hierarchy part uh, of that respect part. Um, our elders stay with us. We don't have any family going to like nursing home. Mm. It's kind of very rich because my great grandma tell us stories, tell mm -hmm. us the origin of the family, tell us even a bit fictional stories, but 
there's a lot of wisdom in it mm-hmm. all the time. My grandfather was a bit scary sometimes, but he was the most generous man, very caring, taught me to be honest, always like very punctual as well. Yeah. So all these principles been given by the family. I've learned maybe more from that than at school, even I was in a French private school. So who do you think was the, had the most influence on you? Three biggest influence on me was my great grandma. She was a very wise woman. Grandma, because the whole part, I was always with her. And my grandfather with all the academic part, he put me in the French private school after being to France. He said, mm-hmm. oh, they've got a very good education. We need to put my uh, granddaughter in a, a good school because he said, we're not rich, but the best heritage I can give all my family is education. So that was pretty much all about us being educated. And I, I can thank him from that because I don't think I will meet my husband be able to speak English properly if I wasn't mm. educated. You need to be like a chameleon in Madagascar. Mm-hmm. You need just to be humble when you connect with people like rickshaw man, or you go in the market and talk to the butcher. There's some slang language as well. Like um, some people like think, okay, if I'm from the West, I go in the capital for the meeting and they like try to speak slang so I don't understand them or all like the group we are, like they're not going to understand. And I picked up things and they're like, how do you know? And I said to them, I was born here. Mm-hmm. I can speak the slang too, not just the dialect or the official language. So yeah, I think my my grandpa taught me there's no silly job. Nobody is above anybody and don't fear anybody but God. I think because as well in my family, we end up pretty, because of that education part, I had a grandfather, like my grandma's cousin was a um, Minister of Justice. My dad worked at the Minister of um, uh, Youth. So we've got in the family pretty well academic people as much as people staying in the village. Mm. Uh, we all evolved, like most of us now are married with French. I've got a sister who's married with a French, another sister married with a Swiss. So one is in France, one is Switzerland, I'm in Australia. And the whole family is like that, we evolved. When you were at school, so maybe at high school, did you have any sort of idea or or conception of what you wanted to do in the future? Like, did you have a life plan? Yes. Another thing I forgot to tell you, the house was like a nursery for animals. Okay. Yeah. So we had cats, dog, turtle, chooks, I think ducks. So all the things you can think and I wanted to be a vet All right. at the start. And I always like there for the animals. And then you need to be very strong in math. So I couldn't do it. And I'm like, what about doctor? So it was between vet and doctor at the start. And then I'm like, okay, I can't do it. So I'm going to go more towards languages maybe because more stronger for me, like easier as well. The funny thing, I ended up 
being an admin person. Okay. <laughs> so working on computer, but I works as well for like a tour operator. We needed different languages. Mm -hmm. I work with Americans who were looking for petrol in Madagascar. So they were American speaking English, but they had Spanish background. And it was really fun because when we didn't want people to understand us when we talk about the work, we switch in Spanish. So I ended up like working for 17 years for like more of that was like German NGO called the GIZ. And it was like different project each time who stay for about three, five years and then change. So the first one was like one about uh, more working with the council to tidy the city. So mm -hmm. all the doing the rubbish, public toilet, public sewage and all that. And then my second German project was more about environment. So unfortunately in Madagascar, we burn a lot of our trees. Yeah. And the NGO was trying to help people to learn how to treat nature, how to like, you can cut, but you can grow as well. And then the third NGO was about uh, HIV. So that was like okay. a very taboo thing. So we treated people who were already sick and um, we were like looking after marginals, like um, kids who like in that circle, it's hard to get out. And we give them a bit like opportunity to have like um, a bit of training in what they like mechanics or um, admin type for like a short course. Mm -hmm. So they'd be able to come out from that circle. It's about kids who uh, have HIV or whose parents? Uh... Whose parents is more like, for example, it's sad to say it, but for example, if the mom is a prostitute or the dad is an alcoholic or whatever okay. things they've got, sometimes it's really hard to come out from that. Yeah. And that was what we did. And it was pretty successful because they wanted to learn and um, be able to have another few, like different future. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, ends up with the um, NGO and the funny part, having a great grandma with like healing hands gift, the gift passed on me. So my grandma was pretty good in massaging, but she didn't really, she just did family. Mom was like jumped mm -hmm. and then the gift passed on me after my great grandma passed. I had it when I was 15 and I'm like, no, I'm still want to study. I promised my grandpa to finish my baccalaureate. So after maybe 17, maybe 15 years of office work, I did three years of massage my own business in Madagascar. And that was kind of a dream. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to do long time, but I was a bit scared. Come back to the NGO after I had my daughter. Yeah, and I think now I've got my dream job going mm. back to massage. So how did you get how did you actually get started in doing the massage? So it was more like looking at my gra great grandma. Every time someone has got something, oh, uh, great grandma, can you fix this? I did this to my arm or I did this. Oh, I feel so bad. Oh, I've got toothache and all the little things happening to like the family or even people in the village was coming to see her. She was a bit the midwife of the village as well. She can give birth and look after pregnant woman. So, and then I was always looking, I was very curious, but I think the fact mom said to me, she was there when I was born at home with the midwife. And she said, I think you're the chosen one. She chose you the day you were born 
to be the one who will get the gift. So I think the connection was instant for my great grandma when I was born and I grew up with her mm -hmm. around uh, until she was really, really old. Uh, and maybe I was the curious one. I was always like, how do you do that? But I never really learned. But then when she passed, I said, come here, do like great grandma. And they said, you made me feel better. And I'm like, no. And they're like, yes. So I think it's more likely mom said, you will do it when you're ready. It will be there if it's a gift. And I was ready when I was 30 after mm -hmm. I had my daughter. So I don't know how to explain it. Mm -hmm. I just have the feel with my fingers. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of intuition. It's a lot of feel. I can't explain. And all the people I treated in Madagascar told me, I've been all around the world. This problem wasn't fixed. How did you do that? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about how you ended up coming to Australia. Okay. <laughs> I know there's a few steps to the story. So surprisingly, I think if it was like my great grandma's time, it wasn't possible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but with the internet, uh, my husband and I, we met on a dating site, fell in love very quickly and then got married in Mauritius. So then we applied for the visa and my daughter was 11 when we arrived here and I was 41. So I ended up in Australia because of a love story yeah. and married the Tasmanian. <laughs> <laughs> but so what, what, I mean, it's quite a big step to um, meet someone from overseas that way. What was it that, that appealed to him that made you... I think I'll go to Mauritius to meet him. When we met online, he said, ah, oh, can we be friends? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then I'm like, Australia, though, that's a bit far, but hmm, why not? We can talk. And then we realized we had feelings and we said, oh, this can't be online for too long. We need to meet for real. So I was just thinking, he speaks English. I can't make him come to Madagascar straight away because it was quite dangerous at that time as well. We mm -hmm. had like a... The government was not very stable. I didn't want to risk him to be straight away in danger, not knowing me well. So we like agree to meet a bit in the middle. So Mauritius was kind of perfect, speaking French, but English a bit at the same time and was a nice place to yeah. meet. Yeah. And um, then he was like, oh, yeah, um, I think that that will be OK. But then along the time I said to him, do you think we can get married? I've never been married. And he's like, yeah, why not? I said, are you sure? I said, I don't want to push, but still it's, it's a good thing. If we've got the feeling really mutual and really like love, not just kind of like a, a little meeting you and then we stop. So we did the move, um, mm. meeting each other in Mauritius and went to the lawyers, did the wedding, had a honeymoon there. And then he came back to Australia. I came back to Madagascar. Very sad. Mm. <laughs> and we, we preferred to apply for the visa and wait. So we're not going to go backwards, forwards. Because um, I said to him, when I will leave, I will leave. I don't like to go. And then, oh, no, you don't have the visa. You have to come back because it will be tricky for job for the school 
of my yeah. daughter. So we waited for six months. We were lucky. It was a surprise when we got the visa <laughs> uh, because I was like, what's this? And Australia was still sleeping when I got the visa. And I'm like, wake up, wake up. And then I'm like, okay. I said, can you tell me if this is the visa or am I dreaming? It's just six months. And he said, hang on, I need to look too, because this is quick. And he said, it is. And I'm like, yay. And it was October, 2013. And he said to me, I don't want to have Christmas without you. Can you pack in three weeks? I'm like, how many times? He said, can you pack in three weeks? <laughs> I'm like, okay, packing all my life in 23 kilos in three weeks. I can do that if I'm not sleeping too much. <laughs> <laughs> and we did it. And we arrived here just 18th of December, 2013, before Christmas. Do you remember what your first impressions of Tasmania were? Um, we had an idea, it was very kind of not the right idea that we're going to see kangaroo all over the streets. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> But when we arrived, we arrived at the airport, it was uh, already like night time. And we just like drove and drove and drove. And it was like city, city. And then we saw all the trees coming here on the outlet. And my daughter and I were like looking, where are we going? It's like mm -hmm. from the city to the bush. Mm -hmm. Where are we going? But in the morning, I loved it straight mm -hmm. away. It suits us because it's an island. So it was from an island to another. And originally, if you look at uh, the whole historical part, talking about Gondwana, we were linked before. So the separation with Madagascar and Australia, we still have all the plants very similar. Some of the things like very familiar to me. So feel like home. Yeah. And no, it is good. now. Yeah. <laughs> What was it like settling into life in um, Tasmania? What were, the, what were some of the challenges that you experienced at the beginning? I think there's some nice part. I love the fact that people are very kind here. Mm -hmm. People are very welcoming. So the part made my husband laugh was me not understanding the Australian slang. Oh, yeah. So if I got in the bus and the driver, I think that day was a man. And he's like, I said, La, good morning. And I came in and he's like, good day, love. So I came home and I said to my husband, I've got a funny story. He said, what? I said, the bus driver called me love and he said something, not good morning, but good day. <laughs> I said, can anybody else call me love but you? <laughs> he said, yes. And I'm like, okay. And then the second day I went, it was a woman. And then I'm like, oh, good morning. And she said, oh, hello, darling. And I'm like, okay, another one, right. And then I told the story again. And then my husband said, okay, I need to buy your little slang book. You need to learn. Uh, I said, well, I learned kind of British English. The whole thing is very new to me. So that's the few things. Like I had to learn a bit, few of the really Australian words coming here. 
looking for a job can often be a little bit challenging um, in Tasmania for new people. It was. Um, I think I didn't expect the fact that all my French background will not be kind of acknowledged. Mm -hmm. So that's why I had to go to TAFE to get a English certificate, like, okay, you're capable. And then I ended up with a first aid course as well, because I'm like, oh, this could be Andy. And I applied thinking, oh, my 17 years admin part will be maybe big enough to give me some opportunity, but it wasn't that easy. I don't know as well if the surname count or not when you're looking for a job here. But it's kind of makes me think sometimes if I put Baka, mm -hmm. things will pass. But mm -hmm. if I put Raunizanani, it's kind of a struggle a bit. It's a bit sad, but I can like see sometimes it's different. People will take Mikaela Baka easier than Mikaela Raunizanan. But at the end of the story, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to apply. So ends up a bit like trying to do like nails in a nail salon mm -hmm. didn't work uh, stopped that applied for big w i got a casual job like as a checkout and then i applied for massage which something i didn't even expect i will get and i stayed there for two years and a half and after that i end up to like think okay i need to do my own and i've been doing my own um massage business for four years now so I think you need just to give it a go. When you arrive here, you need to embrace the whole thing. You need to just give 100% and say, okay, I can do this. Mm -hmm. At the end of the story, you end up with something good. To become a massage therapist registered, you need around 10,011. If you go to the school and do the whole thing and get the certificate. So I was like, no, um, I prefer to use that money to start a business. And if I'm good, if I've got the experience, if people trust me, it will be okay. And I think I proved it mm -hmm. enough in four years. I've got regular clients. I've known them for six years. And it's all family, friends, just from word to mouth. I'm doing not bad. What, what have been some of the bigger cultural differences you've noticed here compared to Madagascar? Food is the thing I miss. Okay. <laughs> um, when I went to the supermarket and then bought like chicken and I said to my husband, this chicken is really like tasteless for me. Mm -hmm. I need to buy lots of spices. I started to build up like a collection of spices because I think when I'm cooking anything here, I need just to put so many, maybe that's from the background being Malagasy, we use a lot of spices, but I think the meat or the chicken, the taste is different because we just have on like little farm, little production, um, any food, vegetables or fruit or animals. It's just, you don't need much to make the taste great. I think that one thing maybe I see like so different when like you've got, for example, if my husband is cooking, it's like, okay, three veggies and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. For me, it will be like a carry, a whole thing. Like you will maybe cook in, I don't know, 
one hour. I will maybe take three hours to do my whole thing. So that that's maybe the main thing, but like difference. But I imagine that um, family family life is a bit different. It is different as well. I think, yeah, having that like four generation in the same house and he, it's just like the macro family, mom and dad and children, you still like visit, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty. But I think at the end, when I grew up, I ended up a bit like changing as well because mm -hmm. that big family, because of life, because of how things become more expensive, you kind of like adapt as well with the life. Yeah. So that was kind of not too bad. And because I moved here with my daughter and married my husband, who's got a big family, okay. at the end of the story, we end up to have like big family gathering during Insta or during Christmas, birthdays. So I wasn't too much like um, shocked because he's got a, yeah, he's got like that family around. your husband's um how did he the first time he went to madagascar how did he find it it was funny because it started when i was doing my bookings so when i was doing bookings i did hotels and then i did like oh we need a car to go around but i said to him we need a driver he said why you can drive i can drive why do you need a driver <laughs> not only it's a waste of money but i said to him oh no i can't drive there he said why I said to him, we need a driver. Can you just trust me? He said, mm, okay then. And then we arrived in the capital nighttime. The driver was there with the car we rented. My mom and my brother was there. And we start to drive. And that was like around maybe four o'clock, five o'clock because the plane arrived always like early in the morning in Madagascar from um, overseas. And you see the Zebu uh, with all the vegetables going to the market and mm -hmm. people with like loads of things on their bicycles and there was no signs telling you which street was where. And I said to him, look, he said, I see, we really need a driver. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yes. So that's one thing he realized, oh, that's, that's really something like, he said, I can't. I said to him, I can't drive in the capital. I can maybe find that in the smaller city, but the capital is like any capital. It's huge. There's so many streets and little streets. And another thing, it's the security, like the safety. I said to him, you need to close straight away the doors um, because they can like just open up and you have to bring the minimum valuable things as well, mostly in the capital. And I said to him, you can't go without me. Don't hang around just like that. Because being a, a white person, we call it Vaza in Madagascar, you're like a target. You're just like equal good money, rich dollars or euros or whatever is the background. Another thing I told him, don't speak French. Just tell them you're Australian, just speak English. Right. Because the colonization didn't leave good memories in some people. Okay. They don't really open up with French uh, tourists. They will open up more with Americans, Australians, or other people. So I told him that as well. And he was like, oh, okay. And then um, I said to him, in the smaller city, it will be 
a bit better. You can maybe hang around without me, but that's still a bit tricky, but be careful. So like no watch, nothing, nothing valuable, no gold. Uh, don't even like bring like brands of, you know, clothes or shoes, like who will just attract people. Be humble, um, kind of like just go with the flow, just <laughs> mm. mix up nicely. Yeah, so he was a bit like frustrated in the capital, so I can't go anywhere. I said to him, yes, just stay. I think he had a bit of like, he was happier when we moved in another city and he was like able to be a bit free. Like he said, he said he felt a bit like a prisoner or something. Yeah. 